It's Monday, August 24th, 2020. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online, since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. Yesterday, the Republican National Committee released their list of primetime speakers for this week's Republican convention, 50% of whom have Trump in their last name. The other 50% are the only Republicans not worried about Trump's name being on the same ballot as theirs. Kellyanne Conway has announced that she will be leaving the White House by the end of the month to spend more time with her family. The move is being credited to Conway's 15-year-old daughter, Claudia, who has spent months sharing the Conway family dirty laundry on TikTok and Instagram. I guess in this White House, there could only be one dysfunctional family getting exposed on social media. Speaking of Trump dysfunction, over the weekend, audio tapes of Donald Trump's sister, Marianne Trump Barry, were leaked where she is heard calling him a liar, cruel, and undisciplined. No word on when the president will claim he doesn't know her, then call her a loser, before trailing off into some other topic that has little to do what he was originally saying. A California judge ordered Donald Trump to pay $44,100 in legal fees to Stormy Daniels. This marks the first time he's been screwed by Stormy and couldn't lie about it. A reverend kicked off the 2020 Republican National Convention with a prayer in which he claimed that Trump was one of the many gifts that God had bestowed upon us. Keep in mind that with this logic, God also gave us COVID, so at least they're staying on brand. While we're on the topic of religion, Jerry Falwell Jr.'s pool boy turned business partner told Reuters he had an affair with the couple, saying he would have sex with wife Becky Falwell while Jerry watched. In Christian kink circles, this is known as an unholy trinity. Hey, I guess if Joseph was okay with Mary getting knocked up by God, who's Jerry Jr. to complain? With two major storms expected to hit Louisiana this week, the state's governor warned residents that they might need to shelter in place for 72 hours. Hmm, why don't I think that with this crisis, anyone will be protesting because they can't get their hair cut? Piers Morgan has called on Queen Elizabeth to stri strip Meghan Markle and Prince Harry of their titles after Meghan urged people to vote during a Michelle Obama live stream. Piers, don't forget what happened the last time the British monarchy tried to stop Americans from talking about democracy. With movie theaters reopening this past weekend in Florida, Texas, Georgia, and a few other mostly southern states, Russell Crowe's new film, Unhinged, was number one at the box office, proving that a small percentage of the company, like the movie title, are unhinged enough to risk their health seeing a Russell Crowe movie. Charlie Sheen is rumored to be in talks to be a contestant in this season's Dancing with the Stars. Of course, we can't be certain if Charlie will be winning the competition, but we're pretty sure that Tiger Blood might be the safest thing his dance partner can get from being that close to him. Now, let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily Cast and Crew Roundtable. Stay safe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Yellow, and as always, I have some of my TMI Hollywood family here with me. Let's go around and say hello to everybody listening or watching at home um, on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or their streaming service of their choice. Let's start with you, Pete. Remember last week when I was giving you updates about the weather here? It's cooler. It's like only 95 today. 
Hey, Joe. Hi, everyone on my Google podcast friends. Uh, happy National Waffle Day. Have yourself a waffle. Jess. Salutations and good evening to our listeners on the East Coast and those listening on the West Coast. Good afternoon. I think David has competition there with that. Yeah, I was about to take my pants off just now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you can follow me at the Jess Ellis on Twitter. Emma. Hey, y'all. How you doing? And Chris. What's up, baby? Back here on TMI Hollywood one more again. You know what I'm saying? Got to offset that, that fucking voice that Jess did, so I got to get hype. What's good, y'all? Bringing the energy is Mac Diddy Combs. You can follow him at Twitter. <laughs> Thank you for that, guys. Okay, so today we wanted to talk about a topic that has become all too familiar to both our show and, more importantly, to our country. That is racial inequality and justice in America. To help us with this topic, we are very pleased to have Chris Williams, one of the two hosts of a podcast called The Critical Take. Let's welcome him now. And I think he's getting ready to join us. Yeah. Yeah, he's coming. He's, yeah. he's, he's we'll just wait a second while he's uh, somehow or other joining us. Can you hear me? He's coming. Yes, we, yes, we, yes, we, we can hear you, Chris. There you are. Okay, <laughs> we always have to cross our fingers on that. No, no worries. Chris, thank <laughs> you, you so much for joining us. We're doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm chilling, I'm chilling, I'm chilling. So can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and why you started it? Yeah, so um, it was kind of a long road to start in Critical Take. Um, it always had been an idea of me and my co-hosts and we had shopped it around to different places and tried to basically get people to help us start it. Um, but we quickly learned that other people didn't want to buy into it in the same way we did. So um, we decided that we would just go ahead and start it ourselves. But we really wanted it to be a space where we could talk about important issues that we cared about, like race, uh, gender, sexuality, sport. Um, and contemporary issues, um, but in a way that was not contrite, in a way that wasn't authentic to our own lived experience. Um, and so it was just the convergence of wanting to have that conversation um, and also putting it out in a platform that felt authentic. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know you mentioned your co-host, Dr. Scott Brooks, and right. that's actually one of the most interesting things we found out about, about your podcast. Um, you guys have very different perspectives. Do you have, do you think it has to do with age, the age difference between you and him? Oh, uh, 100%. So he's, he's about like, maybe like 20 years older than me. Um, he's, he's my mentor. I'm not going to play him like that. Like that's my (laughs) role. That's my man. Um, but we definitely like get into it every now and then about different issues. And it's totally because we're from two completely different generations and we completely see things. Um, typically on the same wavelength, but in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. So we definitely clash in, in that particular way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's funny that you picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot we actually want to talk to you about. So For I just sure. want to go ahead and go ahead and jump right in. Let's do so it. we wanted to get your perspective about the incident that took place last night in Wisconsin and also open it up to our panel. For anyone who may not have been following the news today, Last night in Kenosha, Wisconsin, police responded to a call about a domestic violence issue, and when they arrived, they found Jacob Blake, 
an unarmed 29-year-old black man who, by all accounts, had stopped his car when he saw two women fighting and tried to break them up. The police apparently thought that Blake was involved in the altercation, drew their guns on him, and as he slowly walked back to his car where his three children were, and then one of the officers shot him seven times in the back. Two of the officers have been placed on administrative leave pending a review of the case. Now, I just want to say we're not going to sit here and try and have a conversation where we're going to come up with a solution for these horrific incidents because there are clearly smarter people who haven't been able to find a solution. So my question is, is there a fear that the public, who have seemingly been in favor of some form of police reform since the killing of George Floyd, may start to get numb to this again and any momentum we have seen from the protests of the last few months could be lost? So I want to start with you. Yeah, that's a that's a excellent question. And I think for me, um, the question to me is like, am I already numb? And I think as a as a black person, as a black man, um, to continuously see uh so many other black men and women killed on TV. Um, we talked about this on an episode of Critical Take. It's just, it is it is very much a numbing thing, right? When you see Tamir Rice, you see um, George Floyd, Eric Garner. Um, it's almost as if you see a name trend that you don't know. My mind automatically assumes what's going to happen, right? And with this was this, the same situation. Um, as soon as I saw people talking about this name, police were involved. I immediately knew this person was black. I immediately knew they were potentially going to get killed on camera, although luckily enough, um, he's, you know, there are all reports have been that he's um, survived and in a hospital, but it's tough. It's tough to say that as a black person, I'm not already numb. I'm not sure. It's hard to gauge whether, you know, the public is going to be numb or how soon the public becomes numb. But as somebody who's researched, who's protested, you know, you just continuously see black person after black person get treated this way on camera. And it's hard not to feel numb um, when nothing seems to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as the public, I mean, it's tough. I I mean, I guess that would be, I'm more interested in hearing what the other panelists will have to say, because, you know, my perspective, as I said before, as a black person is I definitely feel numb and I definitely feel like this obviously won't be the last one and we'll definitely have some it feels as though we'll have some sort of new occurrence um coming up so Mm -hmm. that's just my take does anybody want to add to this chris go ahead Uh, uh, yes what's up first of all uh i here's just two things that i'm i'm happy about and well i'm actually happy about really one thing and it's for two reasons one i'm happy that he survived that's like a great thing you know what i mean because you know usually especially in the last few cases where you know this become national news that's usually not the case right so I'm happy that he survived because you know he shouldn't he shouldn't have he shouldn't have it shouldn't have happened in the first place mm-hmm. uh but uh I, the second reason i'm happy he survived because is is hopefully uh by the time you know, there's a, a deeper investigation goes into it. And if this thing goes to a, a, a court, he'll be able to speak for himself because that's the difference between a lot of these things that have happened in, in, in 
society and in, in our in our uh, uh, community, it's like the victim themselves don't get to speak because they're usually dead. And it's gonna be a it's 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 gonna be a lot more of a powerful impact mm-hmm. um, for reform when yeah. you actually get to hear a victim of police brutality speak on it. You know what I'm right. saying? Now whether or not uh, the 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 message is heard is is that's another topic. But I think right. it's gonna go a long way to actually hear someone who went through it and survived, especially this way, because you know we've heard of victims who have been like assaulted by police and survive and talk about it and things of that nature, which right. the result varies in, in that case too. But the fact that he was shot seven times, if he gets, if he survives to the point where he can come into a courtroom and speak his piece on it and talk, tell his side of the story, there's going to be a lot more different impact than it has been before. And I'm happy about right. that. And I can't wait to see where that goes. Right. Jess? Yeah, I'm kind of worried. I mean, the, the situation right now, I mean, with the protests and violence and and reaction to the George Floyd stuff, I'm afraid that there'll be more violence from this. And the, and that's where the message will get lost, because people on the right will, will say, oh, look, it's just, you know, look, look what, you know, these people do when there's an injustice. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I'm terrified that the message will get lost because of further writing there's already some like mm-hmm. uh civil unrest breaking out and that that's really i feel like a tragedy because then nobody looks at what really happened which is police abuse and injustice mm-hmm. and then it just becomes about rioters or young kids doing dumb things oh they've already um, they've already yeah. uh, had the, the articles put up like somebody burnt down a, a car lot yeah oh a kia so dealership that's, that's where yeah, that was yeah I just saw it on Twitter real quick today, but I started reading the comments, which is like, I feel like where a lot of the truth lies, because that's like where people's inhibition goes like free, you know, Mm -hmm. like they just say whatever. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, he should have complied. You know, he was a sex offender. I guess somebody dug up his record already. It was a sex offender, had a criminal record. You know, I mean, obviously that doesn't give you the right to kill someone. Right. You know, you're not you're not the judge and the jury and the executioner. And real quick on that. The first thing when I did see the video and if you haven't seen the video, you should go see it, even if it like you need to see stuff like this. Um, But the thing there was like five cops and each one of them has a taser. Like, why didn't anybody just tase the guy? Well, they did. They did tase him. Oh, did they? Because I just saw where he's going around. And they already have they, a hold of his shirt. Like, yeah. just tackle him or something. Tase they, him. they tased him and he, he pulled, just pulled it out. So either maybe it didn't fire or he, it didn't affect him. But yeah, they, they did tase him according to the reports. Mm-hmm. Pete, did you want to add to this? Yeah, um, actually, a couple of things uh, to kind of go off of what Jess was just saying. Firstly, yeah, they, they uh, immediately after this happens, there's been a push already to try and uh, vilify him, even though the, what he did had nothing. All he actually did from what the reports say was stop to help break up a fight. Um, but yeah, the reports um, immediately afterwards came out that he had a, a criminal record and it was amplified by who? Donald Trump Jr. Um, mm-hmm. he, um, he posted a, an article about an hour after the shooting um, with, that had already gotten information about his criminal record. Um, but uh, along the lines of what Jess was saying about how um, the people on the right are, are using this, um, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. If anybody saw any part of uh, the, uh, the hearing this morning with the, uh, the head of the, uh, the Postal Service, Louis DeJoy, there was clearly talking points um, from Republicans that, that hadn't been used before, what wasn't used on Friday when they were speaking to him through the Senate. But each, uh, each Republican congressperson, um, when they spoke, they brought up, um, they brought up uh, questions about whether or not the rioting and looting caused, caused any, um, any slowdown in the mail service. Um, mm-hmm. They were showing pictures of the uh, of the post office in in uh, Minneapolis that had been burned down, and asked if those kind of things caused slowdowns in service. So I mean, they're clearly right. already using this as an excuse. And you know, what I'm wondering more, and, and obviously, you know, I'm not the right person to answer this, but how can you know how is this going to be spun in a way where it's it could go pro? the wrong side of the, of, of this conversation. Like how can, how can, how can people like Trump and his allies use this to their advantage? Because clearly they're going to, I mean, tonight they have uh, the, the couple that were aiming their guns at, at the, the, the protesters in Missouri. How, you know, how do you, how do you kind of counteract that kind of argument when they say, well, this is, you know, the, you know, the Democrats, all the liberals are against um, law and order. Um, when clearly this isn't about law and order, it's about justice. Uh, you know, so I'm just I, I'm asking you guys if anybody else has a thought on how do you counter that kind of argument? Go ahead, Emma. Emma, go ahead. Oh, God, I almost stayed on mute. Whoops. Uh, so I think I think we're looking at a couple of different issues here, which I know is like my catchphrase on this show. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, we're looking at how are people who don't necessarily agree with us going to spin this? I think we're looking at how are we going to keep people who already believe in the movement going uh, when things like this are just so constant that it's heartbreaking and like you have to detach sometimes just to like stay mentally sane. Uh, and we're looking at how do you reach people who don't agree with us uh, for that. And I'm going to re- address them in backwards order just to be extra confusing. Um, I don't know exactly how we reach people who are so like who will look straight to stories about how about like this leading to rioting and looting, looting and nothing else. Uh, because so many of us kind of stay with the media that feeds into our views anyway. Like who can say things that will reach them? What could be said that would reach them? That's a really difficult question. Uh, nobody seems to have cracked that yet. Um, mm-hmm. Like if anyone has an ideas, any ideas, I'd love to hear them. But like, this is one of the big issues that we are dealing with as a nation is like, how do we find media that reaches everybody that is neutral and gives out points? Uh, like that looks at every side of the story that is genuinely fair and balanced. Um, and then uh, how do you keep people from going numb? Uh, Chris McDiddy Combs uh, brought, up, <laughs> uh, brought up the incredible point that it's true, he survived. And so much of it is going to depend on who he is as a person and how public he's willing to be. But like any good civil rights national movement will have people on board who, if he wants to speak out, he won't just speak out in a courtroom, although I'm sure he will if he wants. He can also have a national voice now because he can be like, this is what I went through. This is who I am. This is I'm just a regular person. The only thing that's different about me is the color of my skin. Uh, And that can make him a really powerful national voice if he wants to be that kind of guy. But there's definitely resources for that if he wants them. Um, it was really dumb of me to go in backwards order. I do not remember what my first point was. Oh well. Real, real quick to go uh, with what Peter said, you know about they, as in uh, Republicans using this. 
I want to be clear that the people I saw already like trying to demonize the guy, uh, I don't know if they were Republican or not. I assume they were some kind of far right people because, you know, who knows? But I, I, I'm very careful to say that I, I'm sure that not all Republicans feel like that. And, and I'm sure that people on the left are going to use this for whatever political means. And that's another commentary on what we're going through in 2020, where, you know, wearing a mask or a vaccine or a virus or how close you stand to somebody or getting shot by the cops is now a Republican or a Democrat issue. Whereas this is a civil liberties issue. This is all of our problem. It's an us yeah. versus them. It's yeah. the populace versus the state. That's the problem. It's not me versus you or whatever political ideology you have. And I, I hope that people can focus on that. Everybody's so hyper-partisan. Like even that message gets lost that we're, we're basically all in this as the populace together. But that's, that's what I was saying though, Jess, because I, I wasn't saying that this was a Republican or a Democratic issue. I just wanted to clarify about, that. It's about, it's about justice. It's, it has nothing to do with whether or not, you know, um, whether or not one side believes it or not. I, I mean, look, I, I, I don't think that I, I'm sure that liberals will use this in their own way, too. I mean, I mean it, it, look, it, 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 it raises money for for both sides. It always does. And not that, just and that, but I mean, the Antifa crowd and people but, that but, need but, an excuse I mean, for but, violence yeah, on both sides. But I, I mean, but I think that the, the question I had more initially, the one that I asked at first was more about how do you counter that kind of conversation? Because you know the the problem that we're going to have is that is that we're dealing we're we're very close to an election so everything is going to be hyperpartisan about the election and so anything that happens somebody stubs your toe it's going to it's going to have something to do with right or left i mean it's just the way it always works out but now you know if you if you decide that you're not that you want to protest against injustices that are happening and clearly right now it seems like that's been a push that's that that's been happening for the last few months. How do you counter somebody that now is going to tell you, oh no, no, you just want you know you, you want like lawlessness. You want to take away all the money from the police. You you want the, there to be people running through the streets, burning things down. When again, I'm sure there's a percentage of people that really do want that, but I would imagine most people are somewhere in the middle of both that want justice for people that have not seen justice, but also people to protect us from 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 situations that, that we cannot handle ourselves um okay pete you mentioned the police and i have a question for chris and for the rest of the panelists as well sure. what would police reform look like in your opinion when you think of a, a police reform you know what what does that mean to you well so first i want to be i want to be really clear about you know what the conversations have been and what my ideal vision would be so i think as you know, Peter just kind of talked about one of the top, the hot items have been when folks are talking about defunding the police. I think they're really talking about reallocating funds and how police are being stretched thin in ways that um, handling things that they really shouldn't be handling or respond yeah. over responding to calls. Right. So probably we want to see some of the funding that goes to police reallocated to other areas. So, police can be focused on uh, really insular, you know, responding to violent crime, things of those nature. Um, two, I think we want to see um, the, there's a, there's a law before Congress, um, it's working its way through Congress, which is why this November election is really important, mm -hmm. uh, potentially to get some, um, some Senate seats flipped so they can get the George Floyd 
uh, police reform bill passed, which looks at, you know, which basically some of the items in the, the law are to um, have a national um, reform about use of um, use of force law, uh, eliminating um, qualified immunity, all of those types of things. Right. So, you know, top three on my list, I think, would be the reallocation of funds toward police departments, uh, ending qualified immunity, um, having civilian oversight, all of those things go into it, right? We probably wanna have um, stronger requirements too um, for police officer training. But I mean, ultimately we're gonna have to one day decide like, you know, we have to take a hard look at, you know, do we want policing to exist in the same way that it has for so long? Or is it time to reimagine a society where policing looks different? Okay. Um, Jess, you wanted to say something? Yeah, this is the libertarian thing. This is our shtick. As the, the ending qualified immunity, that's been like, ever since I learned about libertarianism, that's like one of the things because ho- cops obviously uh, don't, they're not responsible like regular citizens. And that moves on to like going fully in the libertarian ideal, which is, you know, to privatize police forces because then they'll be held accountable just like private citizens. I think that personally is probably the way to go. I mean, right now we have a war, a a permanent warfare state in the United States of America. So we have a shit ton of surplus and that all gets handed down to the cops. So now the cops are a paramilitary organization. Uh, I mean, Things like ending the drug war so that cops don't have as much probable cause to, you know, violate your Fourth Amendment rights and, you know, trump up other charges on you and throw you in jail where it's also profitable for you to be where they can send you to basically be slave labor for stuff like the California wildfires. I mean, the prison industrial complex is just another form of slavery for most people caught up in it. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of I'm glad that these issues I'm I'm sad that people have to die and there's violence, but I'm glad that these issues are getting talked about because the, these are things that libertarians love to talk about. I have been for, you know, decades and decades. Joe, um, you know, we talked about on the show before, and I really do agree with Chris on this because um, we talked about how defunding isn't necessarily getting rid of money for the cops. Absolutely not. Let's make the cops be able to do their job correctly. We have, we have uh, people that do uh, 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 traffic control and parking tickets here in LA. Those are the people that should be going out for a car accident and writing a report. So a cop doesn't have to do that. If you have beef with your neighbor and your neighbor's throwing trash over the fence, cops shouldn't be coming out for that. That's like silly stuff. Cops should be doing the important uh, uh, work with, you know, like, like we said, violent crime and things like that. And if we can free that up, and then, then the cop can do, actually do their job, I think that that's a really great idea. So that's what I'm for 100%, because then you have, when you have cops doing everything and, and all this, it, it, it puts a lot of stress on them and makes them, it makes them uh, paranoid. I hate to say this, but I, I can tell you this because I used to be a dispatcher, so I kind of know. Um, and, and, and it's rough. And the other thing that I really would love to see is a situation where, you don't have to have the silence inside there. Like, like you should be able, like if you're a good cop and you see a bad cop doing bad things, there shouldn't be a problem with you saying something and getting something done about it. And that's the other thing that I think that's really important is to change the culture within the police community. Because uh, I, I don't care when people say there are all, that all cops are bad. That's not true. There are good cops and there are bad cops. The problem is the way that the culture is, it's tough for a good cop to say something about a bad cop. And we got to be able to make it where it's okay to do that. And it's fine to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, part a big part of the problem right now with that kind of stuff is police unions. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but it's true. He's true. He's right. 100% right. Uh, Chris? Well, I mean, I don't know if this is going to come off the right way because it's going to sound like I'm saying there should be more policing, but I think there should be something separate from like, because they call police officers peace officers, but they're really not. You know what I mean? A lot of like most of their training, most of the academy training is is for combat and like dangerous scenarios. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. very, and I know this because my father is a is a, a a police officer. So a lot of their 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 training, most of their training, for one, is too short. Most of their most trainings in most places is like three months to like six months at best, and that's not a lot. You know what I mean? Um, so. Uh, but most of their training is, is for like worst case scenario, not like best case scenario. You know what I mean? And so I don't know, uh, like, I feel like there needs to be like a separate unit. You know what I mean? Like, you know, in a peacekeeping mission, you don't send in the Marines. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you're sending in Marines, you're sending in to, to do some damage. And then you send in like the National Guard or the Navy to like kind of smooth things over, maybe heal some people who got caught in the crossfire and things of that nature. I'm not saying that that's the way the police force should be. I'm just saying that as an example, that there should be something separate other than the people who are out there with guns and stuff like that. Right. I mean, you still have peace officers that have a sidearm, but like more people, maybe somebody with more training in de-escalation because like, here's the thing, sending a, a same cop who's trained for combat out to a domestic violence situation is, is, is not the same. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you shouldn't send that same person with the same kind of training. You should have somebody with a different kind of training go out there first uh, or maybe along with somebody who has combat training. So in case there is somebody there with a weapon and it, that situation does elevate, then that person can come and step in and use their, you know, their their knowledge and, and their skills in that in that way, too. But, you know, I know that's hard to say because then that's just going to cost us more money. But I just feel like the jobs that uh, police officers have is it's or that or that could mean jobs. I think it could mean it, it doesn't have to be a separate job. Mm. Again, if we're talking about reallocating funds for those types of positions, right? Yeah, it doesn't have to be that we keep the policing the way we are and then add something. It means yeah. that we can make we can make or set aside these particular funds and convert things so that it looks completely different. Right. So I don't think your response means that it has to be an addition. If anything, it could be, okay, here's how we're going to carve out this particular position and make it something different. Right. I think that's what this moment in our society is right now. It is about re-envisioning and reimagining what policing looks like. I mean, we say this on the show, Policing is one of the the few entities that we can continuously have, let's say, these sort of negative results, but our response has always been to invest more, yeah. right? We, we don't really look at how can we fundamentally change this thing because we've so fundamentally, I guess you could say, are a police state that we don't really look at what are the alternatives because we're so used to it be in this way. And for some people in some communities, that's very comforting. But if you live in a black and brown community or any community that is over police or has had issues with police, it's a very different story. Right. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the two that, I mean, I'm not saying that it's all, uh, that's, it's, that's like, it's like an, is an excuse, but a lot of the problems that the police force has is the problems that we kind of put on them. It's like, you know, when you're a victim of something, like if you get robbed or some shit like that, like, 
the first thing you do is you find somewhere to place the blame and it's always the cops and it's like why weren't mm. you there or why didn't you do this like we do have a lot of expectations on cops for them to do certain things that they sure. just can't do and that's why i feel like there should be maybe a separate force or a, a separate sure. unit or something like that that handles these kinds of things because you know there's there's a lot of their there's a lot on their shoulders and which means if there's a lot on the shoulders there's a lot of room for you to fuck up so mm-hmm. you know i'm not saying that that's it's an excuse for right things. you know more You're training could be but yeah, but yeah. it is but that is but there are a lot of there is a lot of weight on their shoulders that could be lifted by having something Shoot. else right you know what i'm saying to back them up because if they feel like they're out there by themselves with yeah. their backs to the walls p- human beings are human beings and they're going to respond accordingly to that emotion mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. so chris i know you mentioned the election and i want to jump into some questions sure. about the upcoming election So there's been a lot said about black voters not coming out to vote for Hillary Clinton in 2016, and that may have played a part in her loss. First, do you think that anything is different about this November's election? Um, I think, uh, yeah, so that's a funny, that's a funny notion, right? The notion that, you know, black people, I I, I think this was a talking point that Michelle Obama kind of hinted at in her DNC speech was, you know, black people needed to get out and, and vote. And one of the reasons Hillary may have lost. And I, you know, I personally think that's like a weird take because I think the majority of the black vote actually went to Hillary Clinton. Um, and the notion that, you know, black people in, in general weren't getting out the vote, I think even if that was the case, the question becomes, why do so many black people feel like disenfranchised to the point one where they don't want to participate in a particular way? Because for so long, I mean, I think a lot of black people have felt their vote hasn't mattered, right? Hasn't mattered. Like, um, like Jess was talking about when you talk about, you know, crime and prison reform, a lot of folks voted in Clinton. And then Clinton passes one of the largest um, one of the largest crime reform bills that kicks off the prison industrial complex. So it's kind of hard to tell somebody, you know, giddy up in that sense. And then secondly, you just have a lot of people who just can't vote because they're disenfranchised. If you look at what's happened in Florida, where a lot of um, folks fought, they voted in Florida to get um, ex-cons, ex-felons. Um, their right to vote and then Florida reversed that decision and it's kind of like well like what was the point right so it's a tough it's a tough scenario it's a tough bond I think this moment may be different for sure it feels like there's a lot of political momentum because of everything that's happened with Trump over his presidency but I really think you know the question is probably better better fit to my mind for white America. And I don't mean that in a a backhanded way, but you know, if if we're talking about the majority of folks who voted for Trump, it was majority white folks, right? Like the majority of white people voted for Trump. And so the question I think for white folks this go around is is there anything different? Like what is different about this election cycle than the last election cycle? Mm-hmm. And will that truly make a difference? Um, so, you know, I, I think that's the bigger question, right, is what is the barometer for white America? Is is the majority of white America going to be behind Biden or are they going to be behind Trump again? Right. Because 
we saw again most most minorities when you're talking about black and latinx vote most of them voted for clinton right but the majority of white folks carried the way for trump so what is going to be the difference this time i think is is what comes to mind for me mm-hmm. okay anybody else want to add something pete go ahead i i um i want to just kind of say something along the lines of what chris was just saying because because you know it is it is heart horrifically embarrassing when you read you know that that uh, statistically it was white men um, that were the highest uh, group of people that voted for Trump, especially white older men. So I kind of fall into that category. God knows that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, But, um, but what I, what I did, you know, what I think at least from what I see from, from this, like, again, the numbers, because that's the only thing you can go by Mm -hmm. is that it seems like white, white people with an education have kind of slowly slipped away from Trump. Whereas mm-hmm. the, the the white people without an education are always going to be, they're always going to be what they're going to be, and you know there's no excuse for them. Um, uh, but but if there's a if there's a difference, maybe that's it. But I actually I, I kind of wanted to go back to something else that that uh, that uh, we we were kind of talking about. I wanted to ask Chris this question: Do you think that if 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 there was an elimination of for-profit prisons? That a lot of mm. a lot of the uh, the crime that 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 is so so um, geared more towards people of color would would right. probably be be le- uh, you'd see less less of that uh, less of that actually being uh, being uh, how would I even put it like would there be less would there be would there be less crime before? I see what you mean because well, or would there be it... less nonsense crime things that are yeah. like I mean, you know, because one of the things I, I was I, I was thinking about when we were when I was looking at this video from from last night is that when with the whole George Floyd incident, you know, you can always find somebody that's going to go back and say, well, this all started because because in theory he may have done something illegally. He right. may have he may have he may have passed off the counterfeit bill, and then when he was out of the car. You know, regardless of whether or not he really was claustrophobic, he did resist arrest. So you could find somebody that's going to make that argument. But right. from what we see from the video so far, and it's only obviously what we see so far in the reports you've heard, th- this man yesterday, he didn't do anything wrong. He, mm-hmm. you know, other than walking away from a police officer. And, and if worst, you, you know, you would assume that walking away from the police officer might get you arrested in right. some cases. Seven gunshots, one gunshot is too much to expect, right. but uh, but seven is obviously right. you know horrific. So again, I just I, I wonder if if with if we had no for profit prisons, which was something I know that that uh, the Obama administration had floated the idea of trying to remove because I know they were they were talking about taking away all the the government contracts, which again Trump reinstituted um after he took office but do you think that that would change anything about the way policing is handled especially in urban communities i think um i i certainly don't and and just don't don't crucify me for this i certainly don't think uh i don't think for-profit prisons are the way to go the privatizing privatizing of prisons is the way to go i certainly you would see maybe a reduction of people in prison but when we're talking about the prison industrial complex, I mean, most people are housed in state facilities right now. So I think you may see a marginal decrease, but when you're talking about crime and you're talking about violent crime, obviously that has a lot to do with 
law enforcement priorities and what's legal and illegal, right? So I think if we want to reduce crime or reduce people who are netted by the system, we likely have to, one, there's a lot of activity we probably just have to decriminalize, right? Like we have to decriminalize, like decriminalizing marijuana was a big step in getting a lot of folks out of that that prison industrial complex, right? Because it was no longer an enforcement priority. Secondly, I think you, one of the ways that we've a proven way to reduce crime and reduce areas is to invest in alternative resources that produce jobs and wraparound services. Certainly the elimination of privatized of prisons would help though. Uh, so I am, I, I'm agreeing to you to an extent with you to an extent, but if we just eliminate for-profit prisons, but don't do anything else, and we don't look to reduce the amount of people even in state, state and federal prisons, then we'll probably just end up with the same problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. And the whole thing, so I'm going to defend the for-profit prisons, even though I, I don't, like, I'm just going to take that stance from the libertarian point of view. Like, it's not so much the prison that's the problem or that the fact that it's private. It's the fact that they can lobby and lobby for laws that will get somebody thrown in to that prison for something extremely benign. So like you were saying, Chris, it's about changing the laws and, you know, getting money out of politics, which every politician says they want to do. But, you know, oddly enough, when it comes down to it, none of them have the stomach for it. I wonder why. (laughs) Maybe they need to keep paying that mortgage on their second mansion. But like, you know, once the money's out, then there's the the uh the private prison can't lobby for bullshit uh laws like you know yeah. possession of some but, but narcotic think, or a plant but i think just the question is what comes to mind with a for-profit prison is that obviously you at some baseline level have to have a certain amount of people there to make it profitable right like to keep it afloat right and the question where a lot of for-profit prisons have popped up is what happens is, is that it often, the, the community it's placed in, it often becomes an economic engine for that place. So people are yeah. tied to having, you know, prisoners in the, the jail. And what we know from data on policing and data on prisons is that more often than not, it's going to be disproportionately folks of color. So it's just a tough, it's just a tough bond to be put in. You, you folks get what of I'm color saying? incarcerated or that are working there? incarcerated so usually usually prisons are in rural areas so it's you know i'm not saying that people of color don't work there but it's not like they're not usually in privatized prisons are not usually in communities of color so you know the the work yeah i just worry about the state you know like yeah yeah yeah. being able to lock people up that they disagree with or put in political dissidents because you you know nowhere has that worked out well you know what i mean right um and Real quick to Peter's thing about, I mean, that was a while ago. I really wanted to comment on that. But, you know, talking about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden is not going to solve this issue because none of them have a vested interest in changing this. None of them. And they're not going to. And and Chess, I I get what you're saying. But at the same time, you you know, this is an old argument that you and I have had in the past about, well, do you at some point make a decision where you say, no, vote I for them for other reasons. I'm just saying well, no, yeah, it, it yeah, has no, no place saying, in this conversation. Yeah. No, and no, and I just I you know I think the question was asked more because yeah because numbers said that 2016 
a, a portion of the electorate that Hillary Clinton assumed she was going to get was what they called the Obama coalition. Right, but we're talking and about police of, abuse and prison out. reform. Well, and if well, Hillary no, I mean, Clinton they, was elected, we would have more prisons. Like probably. Hillary, no, well, okay, she's well, a warfare and, state kind of gal. And you know what, that's I, her whole I, thing. I I would love to have seen if that was true, uh, considering <laughs> considering the last four years. But I mean, but it's not like if you, either one of them was was elected in twenty. Like if Hillary Clinton was elected in twenty sixteen, we wouldn't be having this same problem you, with police you, you, abuse you, you, because during look, Barack Obama we had this problem. This, this happens under every administration, and right. I think, and I think to a certain extent, that's why I, I just wanted to say that so we can get away from that because it's this is not a partisan issue. This is not like well, if you would have voted for no. my guy, we wouldn't have these problems. Because you would, See, and, and 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 I and, and I can't speak to this, and I, I would I would hope that the the two people of color on our, our panel tonight could speak better to this. Um, one thing I keep seeing, at least from from some of the people that that seem more disenfranchised um, mm -hmm. in this election, is that I think that there was a certain idea that when 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 Barack Obama became president, that things were going to going to change in a in, in a much larger way. Right. For people in the black community, because you had somebody that that understood to some extent the plight that was going on, and when it, they didn't change more than incrementally, that it became mm -hmm. more of a disenfranchised thing. And I'm just wondering if right. that if there's truth to that. I mean, I think there's certainly a segment like the ADOS people who are talking about downvoting. Those people who um, are talking about downvoting the ballot, I think that that's certainly been true for them where they say you know we expected so much different from what um what this presidency would bring but i think it's it's tough when you see the figurehead of a state um and you know the president is constrained by the society in which it exists in right and so barack obama is just a figurehead in a particular system so it's it's only so much he could do, but um, he can't like wave, wave a magic wand and undo histories of particular things. But he also could have done a lot of things different. Um, so I think there is, to some degree, a lot of folks who felt that way. But I still think that was a relative minority of folks um, who who felt that way and didn't actually get out the vote. I still think. Um, returning back to my earlier point, I still think that the majority of folks who delivered Trump the vote were those demographic numbers we mentioned before. So yeah. while it's certainly true that uh, a segment of folks may have felt my vote doesn't matter or for whatever particular reason, I still think even if they would have shown up, the white support for Trump was just a lot in those places. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure that it would have made that much of a difference. That's just my opinion. Of. Joe, you've been waiting patiently to say something. Go I just wanted to say to, uh, the white, the white, uh, non-college educated people, you can reach Peter at, uh, TMI Hollywood. Or you can put a comment. And, and, and and I, I, uh, but I will also you know. correct your emails when you write me because you're done. <laughs> Can I just say we've done over 100 of these shows, but today's show is really bringing out the angry racist. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, wow. 
What, Some of these so comments, these people are very angry. I'm not even going to acknowledge them. Yeah, I'm glad uh, they're okay. real talk. Wait, real talk? Real, for real? I can't yeah. see him, but I mean, if if talking about policing reform yeah, and racist stuff like, like makes you upset, that I mean... I don't think I don't know about you guys. Like, I'm just not really I don't we don't really care. Right. Like, that's right. not yeah. it's not yeah. something that particularly in this moment when people are getting killed in the street and we're at a, a crisis moment where, like, if you can't, you know, we were talking earlier about what what can be done to convince people. And maybe I'm just being pessimistic, but there are certain people I just don't think are going to be convinced of their opinion, right? To change their opinion, right? So anybody who watches the George Floyd video and is just like, well, he had COVID. Well, he, <laughs> well, he, had, he had all of these other things. It's kind of like you're going to find any reason to justify that particular yeah. scenario. So I think to the extent that we're trying to convince people to buy into a particular ideology, I think we have to accept the fact that there are just some people we're not going to reach. Yeah. Like the people who are just going to defend George Floyd, like this guy who's clearly on the ground getting choked out. There's no, there's no rationale. There's no amount of reason that is going to convince this person that be like, you know, maybe we shouldn't do that to people. Right. <laughs> like maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't just kick down people's doors um, without warrants and shoot them, right? There, there's no amount of reason. And frankly, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know about the other Chris on the call, but frankly, I'm tired of justifying our humanity and our existence and trying to convince people of that, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of other groups of people in this country don't have to do that. And yeah. so I'm I'm at a point where the racist trolls can have it I'm not really down to convince you anymore because we have to get to a point collectively where it rationale and reason shouldn't have to be deployed for you to recognize folks' as humanity, I think, is the, right. is the, is the big point here, right? Yeah. Well, I look at it the same way. I feel the same way, too, because, like, you know, I look at racism, no, and I'm not trying to, like, compare the two because it's, it's a totally different uh, – we're talking about apples and oranges, but in a, in a way, racism is low-key like a religion. And somebody's told you your entire life that you're better than somebody because of the color of your skin for just being born. It's hard for me to convince you that, that that's, that's right. wrong. You right. have to want right. it within yourself. Like, that's like telling somebody who's been a Christian their entire life that their religion is wrong. If right. you told them that, they would fight you just as hard as a racist person who believes that they're better than you for the color of their skin. So you have to want it within yourself. And if right. I, I, there's nothing that I could say, if, if, if me just, if, if all the things that you're seeing on television and all the talking points and all the memes and everything else that you've seen doesn't help you at least just see the other side, just be <laughs> open to the other side, I can't help you. You know what I mean? Like that's some, that's some help. That's some deep rooted help that yeah. I'm not a professional and I can't do for you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and I don't even know if there's somebody out there that can do it. <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't know what kind of master's degree or whatever that yeah. they may need in therapy to get through to somebody that has that kind of brainwashing. Like it, you just can't, you'd have to literally right. just go in with, you know, and give them a little bottom and like recontrol their brain. Cause that's, you yeah. can't. You can't know, I it. agree with you, Chris, but at the same time, I also want to believe 
that the older we get, we start questioning things that were fed to Mm -hmm. us, you know, growing Mm -hmm. up. I mean, like, just like me personally, I grew up in a very strict Catholic Mexican household. I was a a Catholic school teacher for 16 years. I was very religious. And now Mm -hmm. I've questioned that religion. Now I don't consider myself a religious person anymore because I don't agree with a lot of the things that are pushed, you know, that religion pushes upon, you know, ideology, but again, but but like you're saying, you know, yes, we are, we do grow up a certain way and you're fed these things over and mm-hmm. over again. But you want to believe that some people do, you know, as adults look back and say, you know what, this isn't me. You know, this is no, what. yeah. And, and I think it goes for racism too. I mean, yeah. I think wrong, but that's how I feel. No, I, I agree mm-hmm. with you. I think my point is I think there's a, a segment of people who are going to be convinced, but I think there are some people who you know they 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 just have bought into a particular ideology and they just won't change so i think there are there are groups of people who will say yeah this was wrong for a lot of people that moment was george floyd right a lot of black lives Mm -hmm. matter became a vogue thing to support after the video of george floyd a lot of people changed their Mm -hmm. mind but there are still some people no matter what the police do if it involves a person of color in law enforcement well, they're going to be also, on the law enforcement side that say no matter what the situation is. Right. Yeah. And I think it's hard. It's it's going to be really hard to convince a certain segment of people. But there are a lot of people to convince. I saw Jess had his hand up for a while. And so mm-hmm. I, I know I cut the line. So I want to be I want to give you the, the floor. <laughs> no, go ahead, Jeff. And then Emma, too. You're on mute, buddy. You're on mute, homie. This is why we were allowed to cut the line because look at him. <laughs> He's still mute. Oh, I can't. We can't hear you. Emma, why don't you go ahead, Emma? She's the one. Okay. Uh, I'll bring it up. Hopefully, Jess gets his mic back on. Um, so it, it uh, I was listening to your point, Veronica, and I think that I, it is possible for, how am I going to say this? I think that most people can be convinced. They're, of course, mm-hmm. outliers in any community of anything always. Right. Like, fine. Uh, but I think that like even amongst the people who like still like hardcore support Trump, I think that maybe I'm being an optimist, but like there are always people that you can convince and it all depends on the community right. that they're in. Mm-hmm. Like Veronica, you brought up your story, but like you also were in a major city, a diverse place where you're able to go out and meet different people and like get to explore other places and other things that you wanted. Like once you were old enough to start kind of venturing outside your household, I right. assume I'm extrapolating a little bit from your life, but uh and then, like, I know in my personal experience, like, I grew up in New York City. Like, I was yeah. surrounded by a whole bunch of different kind of people, and that made me think one way. And then I went to college where I met a whole bunch of people who grew up in, like, white suburbia, and they were yeah. discovering new things for the first time. And, like, yeah. they had to, not that I've never had to unlearn anything, but they had to unlearn some stuff, too. Right. Uh, but there's so many people. America is such a country of small towns in suburbia, especially as you hit, yeah. like, the middle of the country that there are so many people who aren't in those communities that they can't change. And I think one of the great things that the George Floyd protests did by being in vogue was it used social media so well that it kind of put people in a community where they could start to explore new things and maybe like mm-hmm. look up different ideas. Like they were introduced to them for the first time, uh, which is not everything, but it's like the seed of something different and interesting. Uh, and I think that that's something that we need to, I don't know, continue, uh, but like, I guess what I'm saying is that there isn't anyone who is completely ungettable. You just have to separate them from all their friends and family, which is 
lot. It's like the same thing. Like if you get somebody who's been, it's like the sometimes. Let me try to put this in the right words. Like if you ain't got shit and all you got is pride, then that's a, what people will hold on to. I mean, think mm-hmm. of somebody who grew up in the hood. You hear about them getting in the fight over Jordans. It's like they got a fight over shoes. Okay, well when you have more, that seems silly to you. But when that's all you got, yeah then you're ready to fight for it. So, and then you look at it and like, if you're in a rural area or if you're in some backwoods country town and all you got is white pride or whatever pride, whatever color pride you have. And somebody's like saying that, that, that kind of pride is wrong and that, that that's uh, uh, not the right way to think you're going to do everything right. you can to fight for that. So I'm not saying that that's an excuse, but that's what I also look at. So that's why well, I then, like there are some I, people. That won't I will, it. I will pose this question to you all. Cause we agree. We agree. But I think you all let me let me see if I'm gonna make my point just a little bit more nuanced. Yes, I agree that certain people can be convinced. But let me ask you, do you think do you honestly think Donald you could convince Donald Trump to come out and say policing is a problem? Racism is an issue. Hell no. no. OK, Hell that's, no. that's, no. that, that's no. my no. that's no. my no. point. No. Right. Well, that's Chris. That's my see, Chris, point. I, right? I, I, I'm, I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to okay. actually defend Trump here. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? And I'm going to, but I'm going to, but it'll be back. But it'll be a backhand. It will be a backhand defense because if tomorrow Trump saw polling that said that the entire country thought that that policing had to be had to be fixed and and even his own people started like meaning his supporters started leaning in that direction. He changed because he really has no policy, and he has he has no ideology in reality. I mean, it, it, the man, the man. I, I mean, he's on whichever side likes him the most, and so forever for, for, for whatever it's worth. I, I don't, you know, it kind of goes back to something I was I was, was going to say for a little while, which is that you can, you know, I know that sometimes, especially with us, we vilify Trump and we vilify the people that support Trump, but it doesn't take somebody. It doesn't matter who you support. To take to take two seconds to watch a, a, another human being begging for their life, and then ultimately being killed, uh, you know, after begging for your life, to realize there's something wrong with that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, you can you you know anybody who rejects that, just that alone. I mean, because you can make whatever argument you want to make about about did he do anything that got him to the to that point on the ground. You can make that argument, and wh- whether it's a good argument or a bad argument. There is going to be somebody that can make that argument from the minute you hear somebody begging for their life and then ultimately dying from the thing that they were begging their life for. It just it just should end any conversation about race or about anything else, because it's it, because then it does. It's not whether you're black or white. It's you're a human being, you know. And so, yeah, I don't think Trump I don't think Trump has the capacity to care one way or the other. So, so yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I don't think you have to convince him. I think, I think that if his, if, if everybody at his rally started chanting down with the police, that would be what he would think would be the case, the, the right thing to do tomorrow. Well, I, I, I sort of hear your point, but I mean, his presidency has kind of been—I don't know, right? Like a, a a majority of folks supported DACA, and Trump has tried to get rid of DACA, right? A majority of the country, like it was a. It was a bipartisan thing where folks were like, you know, they were polling like over 60, 70 percent of folks supported DACA over 60, 70 percent of folks supported having LGBTQIA protections in the workforce. And his administration worked to cut 
cut that. A majority of folks um, supported um, having the Voting Rights Act restored. And he, his administration kind of was like, nah, we're not cool with that. So I think it depends. I, I, I know what you, I know what you're getting at when you're saying like, he'll throw his support behind any particular thing, but I think it comes with qualifications, right? It has to fit a particular conservative ideology, which is why I, I kind of probed the question. I don't really think um, that, that you could convince Trump that there was a racism problem in the States, right? Real quick, the closer we get to this election and he sees himself drowning, that's when he's going to start trying to give in. But I still no, you know, he won't. I'm not saying the racism because he'll never accept that there's a problem right. with systemic racism because right. he's a racist. I mean, first of all, first of all, <laughs> there we go. I mean, that's the fact. That's a fact. Yeah. Go ahead, Pete. What were you saying? Sorry, I cut you off. No, he'll he'll never he'll never give in because the people in the room with him will always keep feeding that. I, I mean, you know what? Anybody who thinks Trump is smart enough to understand anything about about ninety percent of the issues that he signed off on over the last four years has no concept of Trump. See, the thing is, like, and, and I hate to always say this because I always sound, I, I think I sound like I'm trying to say I know more than other people, but there's a couple of other people on here who are from the New York area and grew up in the same world where Trump was and we saw Trump for years. Trump has been who he is for for 40 years, 50 years. N nobody from New York was ever, was ever surprised that he was going to be what he is today as far mm -hmm. as like, we're surprised that he was president, trust me on that. But we were never surprised that as president, he wasn't going to be an utter failure at it because because he was a clown that we all saw as a clown. He just happened to be one of our clowns. The, the only thing is that as long as he all he was doing was 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 screwing models and and cheating on wives and putting up gaudy, shitty looking buildings everywhere. We didn't care because it was just it was funny. You like to watch the clown. I, I used to love to hear him on Howard Stern acting like a fool to, you know, for for everyone to hear. It was it was fine. It was it, it's the problem is it's the people around him and then the people that are in those rooms that are chanting all this stuff. Those are the only people he listens to. I, I mean, if anybody thinks that the, the real leader of the, of the United States is actually Mike Pence, because Mike Pence has has the has an idea about the policies that, that, that Trump never could have because he doesn't care about that stuff. He's just a, a completely undisciplined person who just, who just goes with whatever, whatever the people in the room tell him. And if he, and if it, and if they say it in a nice way and they smile at him, he's going to go with it. And if they're going to chant his name, he's going to go with it. You know, it's, he's, yes, he's a racist. He always was, he was a racist. I remember when he put the ad up about, uh, 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 about the, um, Central Park uh, Five. Central Park Five. Yeah, I, re I remember that. I, I mean, and there was no reason for him to do it. He, he wasn't he wasn't even a voice back then. His father was still alive. So he wasn't even like the spokesman for his own for, for his own company yet. So he did that because he wanted to do it. And he had at the time he didn't have any aspirations to run for anything, because back then he'd be lucky if he was not running for his life sometime. Um, but, you know, it's we are so yeah, off the I, rails I, and now it's just a Trump 
No, I'm sorry. Get us back, Donald Jess. Trump. Too. I, yeah, I don't know where we got. And you know the got funny part is, just, and the funny I, part I know, is, I actually said I was defending him, so you got yeah, me in you trouble. Were not yeah, I'm just. I, don't, I didn't hear any defending. Peter. <laughs> and it's funny because how we got to this I point. Bad job defending him. <laughs> started out with how I almost always well, start out with Donald West Trump. What's loyal to planet, Peter? If you were, if you were, he'd be in jail right now. The judge would be like, I'm sorry. least I'm gonna accomplish something. But but your your mic is working now just so what were you what were you going to originally get in and say here uh first i was gonna say it sounds like i'm rubbing off on peter because that's how i usually talk about donald trump was i i don't think there's any malice behind anything he does he's just an idiot you know he's not that smart oh oh, that's tough no i mean it's honest though if you he's not that smart i I know he's not smart but we can't like remove the malice from how he talks about immigrants or how he's just like how he's like Anytime, I, I don't think there's a such thing as like non-malice racism, right? Like that's 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 what I mean, or yeah. non-malice like. But that's stuff like that's that. what I yeah. wanted to get to was okay. You know, talking about how we talk to, because we started talking about this because there was a bunch of people online. That you, I think Veronica said the racists were coming out, and we're like, well, how do you talk to people like that? And right, like Chris was saying, you can't. And, <laughs> and I think obviously there's always some people you'll never reach, but right. I think in the current climate, the way people talk to each other, you're not going to reach anyone. In fact, you're just going to make people dig deeper into a hole that they might not even want to be in. They just don't want to be wrong and they don't want to be demonized. And, you know, a lot of these people are scared that, you know, racism just comes from a place of fear and ignorance. Like there's no reason to hate another human being until you know them. Right. It just makes no sense. So it's just fear and ignorance. And when you tell somebody they're a bad person, they're going to start getting defensive. And mm-hmm. when all the language, this is where all live matters come from. It's not bigots. It's people that are afraid that, that you're going to take that it's a zero sum game somehow. And that if all black, if black lives matter, then their life no longer matters. And that's all they hear. They're scared. And so the more we talk about race and exclude everyone else, the more they're going to feel marginalized. And, and I fear they're just going to dig deeper into that position. And I really like the language you've used, Chris, is you're always saying people, we, you know, it's not black people or white people doing this, but most people don't talk like you do. Most people are very eager to, you know, uh, pick a team and just blame the other side. And, and I think, I think until we can like, like calmly, rationally talk to people and just, not make it about skin, you know, as, as much as sometimes it is about skin color, not make it that because you have to know your audience and, and people are going to identify with a side and they're going to probably identify with the one that they either grew up with or that they look like. You know, real, real quick, mm-hmm. I, I want to hear what Chris said, but real quick, because I want his opinion on this too, because Jess makes a really good point. And something that I've seen, especially with this last week and some of that is that it's not about politics. It's you pick the team and it's ride or die. It's yeah. and that's not how politics works. You don't have to agree with every single thing. It's not oh we win and you lose. It's not football. It's politics. You know, you have your opinions on both sides and that's fine. You know, you, just because you you pick the team doesn't mean you go down and die with it. And I think that mm-hmm. that's a really important thing that he's trying to point out. That's not if we continue this way, nothing's going to get done. Yeah. I tell people all the time, like, like that whole, like, I need to be right thing is a very human thing. We all have it. Nobody, it's like, and you know, it when you're making up statistics on the spot and you're just trying to win the argument and you know, that's actually very fucking dishonest. And you know, like I do science 
and science-based sure. stuff for a living. So to me, mm -hmm. I like being wrong. And I always try to tell people this. There's no problem being wrong because that means you just learned something. You just learned something new and now you're a better person. Like, so it's okay. Like anybody listening to this right now, just listen. And when you're wrong, just say, I'm wrong. I learned something new. It's cool because that actually makes you a better human. Yeah, you know, and I agree with what, what all of you are saying. And Joe, specifically you, when you said, you know, it's like we've all picked a team, you know, ever since Trump came into office, it was like, okay, it's us versus them. But I just feel that, you know, he took the politics out of this. You know, I don't see, because I don't see him like, you know, as, as a political figure, I don't. I just see him as a divisive, racist uh, person who all he does is spew hate every second he can get. And that's, how, and that's me personally. And I'm talking about, you know, I've stopped talking to family members because of him. Now, you know, and, and again, because they're supporting things that he stands for that I cannot get behind. I'm sorry. You know, I cannot get behind, you know, someone, you know, supporting his rhetoric against immigrants. You know, when my parents were both immigrants, you know, my father was an illegal immigrant in the 60s. He came here illegally. Did, then he did, did what he had to do, and then he made a success out of himself, became a citizen in this country. He never took a dime from the government, you know? So he came like the old, I mean, now he was old school. So when I have family members, you know, who support his hateful mm -hmm. rhetoric against, you know, Im immigration and immigrants, I just, I can't stand for that. I just can't. But I again, think that's the I wrong think, approach. You know, what? I think that's the wrong approach. Well, you, you know what? I'm sorry, Jeff, but it's, it's who I am. I just, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't do it. I just think that proliferates the problem. If you have guys ever watched, uh, you guys know who Daryl Davis is? No. Uh, watch the Joe Rogan with him. I think he was the impetus for the Black oh. Klansman thing. Did you, just, like, did you say Joe Rogan? I can't stand Joe yes, Rogan. But he uh, watched that podcast with him because he's he's uh, a musician, a jazz musician who converted like the grand, what is it, wizard or something of the KKK. Yeah. He's a yeah, very yeah. intelligent guy. You should read that. And it's it's not about just cutting people off and not listening to them. Because like I said, most of these people are just scared and ignorant. You got to uh, reach out. I think that's that's really nice of you to say that most people are really scared. So I, 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 I I'll bring it back. the benefit of the doubt. Like you I think can, most people are good. You can give them the benefit of the doubt, but uh, it giving them the benefit of the doubt is what we should do. But oftentimes society doesn't, doesn't do that right and so i'll bring it back to your all lives matter example i think you're right to say that some people when they hear black lives matter misunderstand what the message is but i think um even if you misunderstand what the message is i think the tendency is to run away from what we don't know instead of going toward like working to understand right that's so so the reason that folks have the particular opinion that they have about all lives matter folks and why you may have heard people say adopting the all lives matter approach is a bigoted thing is because when folks show up and are saying all lives matter it's usually in response to somebody calling you know to about some injustice in opposition to it so it's just tough, you know, the position you take, even if you are scared, you have to be really introspective and know that that position too matters. Because if you show up to a Black Lives Matter protest where somebody's talking about injustice and you're shouting back at them, all lives matter, 
it's kind of tough for people to give you the benefit of the doubt. You know what I'm saying? Like if mm. if I'm showing if I'm giving you a George Floyd example and you shout back all lives matter, I think the problem with it additionally is we've we haven't seen the folks who say all lives matter say things like George Floyd's mm. life mattered mm. or it hasn't been an actual a comprehensive movement that has actually at times encompassed everybody rather instead it seems to have started as a counter movement it's right a reaction. To folks. yeah as a reactionary reaction. that's movement. what i'm saying yeah it's because they're afraid they're like what because these they don't understand what black like you just said what black lives matter means so they go well, what about my life what about my family's life does that matter mm-hmm. too and they get angry and then if they are at or passing by a rally and saying dumb shit like that um What's the alternative? Violence? Do we need to hurt them? Do we need to shout them down as racist and make them feel bad? Is that going to get them to the other side? Or do we just stay divided and say, fuck it, let's go to war? No, I think if you're a racist, like people should rightfully call you a racist. I think for sure. I don't I don't think we give people like I don't but, think, you know, we 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 do not call the racist a racist. But what I think is that we we can't expect like like those same people have to do the work. Right. They have to be willing and able to do the work. And just because somebody calls you a racist, I don't think I don't think people's first response should be a defensive response. Maybe. Then. It abs- but, you know, it's going to be that's just the way it's, humans are. And, and that that may be a problem in and of itself. Right. Like that's not that's not necessarily a society problem. That may be we have to think differently about the way in which we respond to dialogue then. Right. Um, we, we can't automatically assume that because somebody is calling us racist or whatever, that it is just, OK, I'm not going to pay attention to this. I think especially in a moment like this, it is a time for us to be really introspective and listen as to what people are saying. Right. Because the stakes are different. Right. So you saying like somebody saying like, oh, I don't think what happened to George Floyd is wrong. You can have that opinion in a community and, and, and go home and go to sleep and say, we don't need police reform. You can go home and, and go to sleep and be safe in your community and say that. But for me, somebody who's living in a different community where it is absolutely a problem and where police reform will not happen, the stakes are just different. Right. So it, Sometimes I do think we play this game where we say there's two sides to every story. In my opinion, there's not two sides to every story. Like there isn't a two sides to the George Floyd thing, right? There is what happened was wrong. There isn't another side that says what happened was right, mm. right? And so it, it is it is a delicate game, but I think we all have to to grow in that sense. I see Emma was trying to jump in if I could get you in now. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm in no rush. You're speaking really well about it much better than I am about to. Uh, but I do think that, I think that the idea of like calm and rational discussion is excellent. I think that that is the best way to convince individuals. Uh, I think that we're achieving that right now and that's great. Uh, I just think that it doesn't happen that often. I think that giving people the benefit of the doubt when lives are at stake is not only difficult, but is life risking. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've never been black. 
So I don't know what it's like to walk down the street black. Right. I know. <laughs> but uh, like the, it's not the same, but the closest thing I can uh, like describe it, like from my own experience is being a woman walking down the street, in which case 0% of strange men have the benefit of the doubt. I'm right. not gonna like do anything about it. I'm just gonna like not talk to them. But like, I'm always cautious because me- because enough men have been a threat to me. So mm-hmm. like, listen, I can get in a room with men. I can have a discussion about feminism and gender equality and that can right. be rational and lovely. Uh, but like when I'm outside, like I have to protect myself. Uh, right even if it's not like a real threat, even if it's just some dude walking down the street. Right. Uh, so like, I think that the idea of rational discussion about race relations as well, awesome when you can get it, like, absolutely. Uh, but like, it's a difficult thing to accomplish in an inherently emotional situation where you're not sure you feel safe. Right. Well, right. that, that, that situation is not Twitter. And that's like where I'm talking about or Reddit or something <laughs> yeah. like that, where yeah. people are yeah. digging in their heels. It's a yeah. totally, it's, it's a platform for discussion where there's no threat of violence. Well, or very little, you know, and one, unless, one last, unless point. you're one of those people who do it's, the SWAT calls, right? Have you uh, all heard about that? Yeah. No. 2005 called. They want their prank back. Yeah. They, <laughs> people, people do like SWAT calls. They'll DDOS you and they'll call the SWAT to your house. Yeah. Um, and people the, get, it's it's a crazy thing but yeah i i take your point though that that and and uh honestly i think for whatever reason the word racist is way overused so now everyone and everything is racism and we can't it's like now there's so much signal or i mean there's there's so much noise it's hard to find the signal because when you finally do call a real racist racist people are like yeah whatever maybe i just think for so it's it's such a thing it's a conversation and being a so i should i'll out myself as a sociologist right who does like a lot of race race work and race thinking i think we've for so long avoided conversations about race and it's for so long been a taboo thing now that we're talking about it a lot i think maybe it feels like everything is being called racist but i i I just implore people to think that maybe maybe you know maybe things maybe it's a facet of we're we're having the conversation now more so it seems omnipresent um whereas at other points in time people have not wanted to have the conversation right so maybe in this moment it feels like it because for the first time a lot of people feel powerful enough to have the conversation in ways in which we were not able to have it before if that makes sense yeah as long as people aren't shouting the more conversation the better yeah so i have one final question before we wrap up chris um we had a civil rights activist hermine hartman on the show a couple of weeks ago she's also from chicago she does a lot of work with the african-american community and she made it very clear to us that you know it was between biden and trump she was clearly pushing for, for Biden for a lot yeah. of reasons, obviously. Um, do you feel that he has done enough to get your vote or what? Can it be oh, Biden? Yes. Um, no, but I'm, I can for damn sure tell you I'm not voting for Trump. Um, <laughs> the only reason I think come November that I'll, I'll vote for Biden is for two reasons, right? So I have a J.D., 
And mm -hmm. one of the important, um, one of the key things for me every year is to watch the Supreme Court and the decisions that, that flow from the Supreme Court. And so, um, unfortunately, the way our system works in this two-party system, which I would be extremely open if we had a a way in which we have multiple parties make it on a ticket like other countries have where there was a real, you know, power playing in, you know, in the game. But unfortunately we live in a two party system. That's not going to change before the November election. So if we're thinking about strategically, how can we get the George Floyd crime bill passed? How can we, um, who, how can we, you know, make a difference on the Supreme court for ideologies we support, unfortunately, for me, that's going to mean supporting Biden in November. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not a decision that I'm like, oh, my God, Biden has just done so much for me. It's just like, you know, for other things at stake, um, I, I'm kind of forced, my hand is kind of forced to vote for Biden, right? If there was some other viable option that wasn't Trump, I mean, I'll be down for it, but obviously I can't get behind Trump, so I have to vote for Biden. But I think that just speaks to us having a broken two-party system rather than Biden having done so much to win my vote, right? Okay. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And come back anytime you want. So we, we really enjoyed our guys. conversation with you. <laughs> we I appreciate you guys for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. So... That's our show for tonight, and we'll see you back here again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Have a Peace. good night, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Peace. Bye.